0: This is a podcast by One Life
1: Christian Church in Baldwin, New York. We pray that the following podcast would encourage
2: you, build you up in the gospel, and lead you closer to Jesus. We remind you that these are simply tools to help you on your walk and ask that you still look for a local church
0: to attend and serve in. Welcome to the living room.
2: So I pray that you're blessed, Dr. Daisley. Um, Dr. Daisley, I want you to know in front of our church, our friends, our family, that I love you in a way that I maybe have never been able to express to you. But after 12 years of being under your care, you are not a doctor to me. You are a friend to me. I've shared this with you that to me, you are like a spiritual father, that has discipled me from the darkest of places, literally, if anybody knows the darkest places, Dr. Daisley, from the darkest of places to now heralding God's word and leading people to the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I pray that you all are blessed in the same way my wife and I are blessed. My marriage is blessed by the tremendous gift that God himself has placed in Dr. Daisley, and may he honor us today with his wisdom and his love and his words. Amen. Dr. Daisley, thank you. How much time do you want me to do? It's up to 30, 40 minutes, or just want to give them time, to quick.
1: Thank you, Isaac, for those words of encouragement. I'm happy to be here with you again. Uh, We've previously had a session here, and I'm sure you've been blessed. I've been blessed with being here with you. I'm happy to present today on this wonderful topic, uh, pressure-proofing Your marriage. It's an important matter because marriages are filled with pressure. There's a verse of scripture I would like to begin with. It's Psalm 4 and verse 1. And I turn to God's word because God's word is the criteria for success on every level, personal, marital level. So Psalm 4 verse 1 says, when I call, answer me, O God of my righteousness, And this is the phrase, in pressure, thou hast enlarged me. In pressure, thou hast enlarged me. So that helps us to see that pressure has a purpose. It is not to narrow us. It's not to put us in restricted circumstances, but rather... To enlarge us. When we get enlarged, it simply means that our borders are wider. Uh, we are more encouraged. We are more strengthened in the things we do. So let's view pressure on our marriages, even though it may be uh, overwhelming at times, let us view it as that it has a purpose and the purpose is that we might be enlarged, enriched as a result. So when we talk about pressure and pressure proofing the marriage, I think of what I did many years ago when I was in the cleaning business, I cleaned rugs and very often I offered an additional service after the rugs were cleaned, and that was the service of Scotch guarding the rugs. And so we sprayed the—I sprayed the Scotch guard on the clean rug with the objective that if you happen to spill anything, it will make it very easy for you to clean it up quickly without it seeping through the fi- uh, the fibers of the rug so it was a protection an added protection i see pressure proofing your marriage as an added protection to your marriage so that whenever the difficulty come you're going to have uh, uh something to resort to to help you cope with and that's the objective pressure has a way of sapping our energy whether it's external pressure or internal pressure it will do the same it will drain us it's sort of like the silent killer and so we want to be aware of its impact we want to be aware of its tentacles so that we're able to avert the disaster that may come from the pressure we experience so you may say to me today that the pressure is on i'm feeling it i'm feeling pushed to the limit i'm feeling pushed to my extreme in the marriage Resources are limited, I'm tapped out. Feeling alone. Possibly one of you in the couple might be feeling the pressure more than the other. And you're wondering why is he or why is she not as sensitive to the pressure that I'm feeling rather He or she seems to be oblivious. The other feeling is we're on the rocks. The ship, instead of being on the wide open ocean, has gotten so close to to land that it's almost on the sand. Feeling the impact of the relationship puts it on the rocks. Another metaphor might be that you're feeling as though you're hanging over the cliff of a mountain in absolute despair, knowing not where to turn and what to do. So you might be fresh out of options. You might have gone to every resource that you think has been available to you and it's just not working no more options available to me running on empty heard that expression right as a matter of fact not maybe running on empty but running on fumes you know existing on fumes absolutely empty should you give up there's a tendency of thinking let's get to the divorce court that's the next best option very often in the mind right let's go and cash in whatever else of this marriage is left we might as well just forget it there is no more hope let's move on in some cases maybe the kids might be playing a very important role in all of this you know. Uh, The kids are driving you to this point where you want to strangle them. You are at your limit, exhausted. What to do? What to do? With all options seemingly gone, no hope. We need emergency surgery. We need an intervention. We need a surgical procedure to turn this thing around if possible. So before we do the surgical procedure, let's look at some of the pressures that come. I just want to check my time so that I don't go beyond the the 30 or 40 minutes that's assigned to me. There's a lot that we have to cover, so bear with me then. Uh, If we're going to talk about pressure... We have to understand where it's coming from and who is behind it. The enemy is behind all of the pressure that you and I experience in life in general and particularly now in our marital relationships. No, the enemy. What does he want? He wants to destroy... This unique relationship that God has instituted. He wants to denounce the importance of marriage. He wants to change it up. He wants it to be man and man, woman and woman. He's altering the terrain. He wants to get at God, you know, but he can't get at God directly because God's too big. But he figures he can get at God's people. He can work insidiously to destroy through the people of God, the standards of God. So know your enemy. So there are external, and then there are internal stressors. Internal are the things that you and I experience that are hidden from the eyes of anyone, but known to ourselves and known to God. Whatever those internal stressors are. Then there are emotional distresses that we experience. Emotions always relating to feelings. Experiencing the different feelings that we have that distress us from one day to another. Then there are spiritual testings that we experience. Allowed of God to test us so as to bring us to a place of dependence on him. Then there are other tests such as business failures. You know, you may be in business, and it's not doing well, and it's putting a pressure on the uh, family existence, or you may have lost a job and feeling the impact of that loss, because now there are no resources at the moment from which you can tap or uh, which is coming in. Then there may be other situations like illnesses that come in so these are all the areas where we feel pressure coming from left right and center and we are caught in the middle of it and we are not able to extricate ourselves from it so what happens it dampens our spirits and puts us in a place of turmoil and we're ready to give up we're ready to throw in the towel Now, what are some of the consequences then as a result of pressure that we experience? One of the consequences is that then there is major meltdowns. Because if we are not able to exist uh, because of the intensity of the pressure, then we are going to feel pressed to the point where we give up. We lose it. We might even have a mental health breakdown. And that's one of the things that will definitely happen, where our mental stability becomes unhealthy. And then you have to seek therapy. That's where I'm in business. So major meltdowns can occur of one sort or another, bringing with it, even severe depression. And depression is not, we're not just talking about the, what we might call the normal depression, meaning, you know, you've lost your job, so you're a bit sad. You've lost a friend, you're a bit sad. But we're talking about depression uh, where you get to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Getting into a dark sinkhole Unable to function. Unwilling to go on. Uh, Getting into bed and pulling the covers up over your head, and I don't want to see anybody else. Even to the point of suicidality. These are the dangers that pressure upon us individually and our marriages can cause. Severe depression. And then we just talked before about divorce. Getting to the point where you feel that the end has come. It serves no purpose to continue in the marriage. Why? Because we're unhealthy. We're not communicating. We've got financial troubles. And maybe even sexual difficulties, uh, incompatibilities in one sort or another, impacting adversely. The marital relationship. So if all this is true. How are we going to lift. The pressure. What are we going to do. If you're here to tell me today. That there is a better way. What is the better way. And who is the better way. Who is able to repair my marital relationship, if I'm not able to do it and my husband or wife is not able to do it, so who's going to do it? Not Dr. Daisley, I can give you suggestions. The first thing that I think we have to start understanding is how to set marital rhythms in place marital rhythms or get your cadence same as rhythm getting your marital cadence or rhythm that is returning to the level of love as the basis for setting the cadence in place now i'm using uh thoughts brought to light by a writer by the name of Dennis and Barbara Rainey. In their book, Pressure Proof Your Marriage. So just to give credit to where most of my thoughts are coming from today. So he establishes three types of couples and how each couple is impacted by pressure. These three types of couples are viewed as three different positions that they express in their style of coping with pressure. So here is how pressure impacts these three couples or these three styles. The first style is called face to face. Face to face. The couple who is like that would be, well, let me ask the question, how many of us are newlyweds here? Recently wedded. I guess we're all very seasoned, huh? (laughs) Okay. So the face-to-face represents the newlyweds, lovebirds, can't get your hand off of each other, can't stay away, attached at the hip, cannot be, cannot be dissected. (laughs) Some of us are still there, huh? (laughs) cannot be separated, have not yet reached the pressure point experiences. Because as far as you're concerned, everything is honky uh, dory and glorious. I always remember from uh, myself, when we left, when we were just about to leave Nassau in the Bahamas where we honeymooned, and by the way, we have 50 years of marriage. Thank you. I remember just about the time we were about ready to leave. I said to myself, wow, if this is what marriage is, I, I'm, I'm ready for it. It wasn't until after you got home and started working things out that you realized that marriage is more than just a honeymoon. Yes, the honeymoon was great, but when you uh, get down to brass tacks and begin to face the realities of the relationship and the realities of life, you begin to ask yourself the question, is this what I signed up for? Yes.
3: Can I interject? Go ahead. (laughs) I think you get to the point after the honeymoon where you realize, because you married this person, because you think they're gonna fulfill you, and you realize that doesn't happen. I think we begin to think of the fairy tale, happily ever after. And we think that all of our needs are gonna be met in this person. And I think you have a downfall there because you realize it's not happening.
1: Okay, so wise counsel, it's not going to happen unless there is that third party in the relationship. We are like a triangle, you know, the two angles at the bottom, it's like an isosceles triangle where the two angles at the bottom equal one another. But then there is the angle at the peak, which is God himself as the center Of that marital relationship. That makes the relationship work. All right. So the second one. The first one was face to face. The newlywed concept. The second one is side by side. Side by side. In this position. What has happened is. uh, You have traded in. Some of the novelties. That were present. In the honeymoon phase you know all of a sudden now the edge is coming off a bit (laughs) you're no longer opening the car door right for her yes Uh, you're no longer making certain expressions there is a simmering down a bit feeling the strain that can come from the pressures that we've been talking about The difficulties, maybe there are children that have come onto the scene. So parenting is now a difficult process and you're pulling your hairs out of your head every day because, you know, you've gotten to the terrible twos and and, and it's just overwhelming and you could no longer uh, enjoy this marital bliss that you had in the first phase. And so you're mustering every ounce of strength to stay afloat. That's the side-by-side experience. Mustering every ounce of energy to maintain some kind of consistency and not to let the pressure canyon kind of cave in on you. The third position is back to back. Now, I want you to understand that what uh, Mr. Dennis Rainey has in mind is that there is a progression that is occurring here. A progression in the reverse, if you might put it that way. A degenerative condition because you went from face to face, which was a good position, to... Side by side, a less appealing position, and now back to back. Understand what that back to back really means, okay? You remember you used to be sleeping and, and hugging one another? And now your back is to hers, and her back is to you. What are you saying? Don't bother me. We're going to keep our distance. The pillow has come in between and now separates, right? So it's like in the back-to-back position, it's like two ships crossing in the night and not any longer connecting with one another. The his and hers cars, this is my car. (laughs) You can't drive my car. The differentiations that come in now and the distinctions that separate us. The bank accounts. My bank account and his bank account. And the one bank account that used to exist many moons ago is no longer there. That's a thing of the past. It's my funds and it's yours, your funds. Now this mentality of his and hers alters the terrain in relationship to the investment in marriage because marriage as an investment is not 50-50. And I think we said this on the last occasion we were together. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. If it were 50-50 as sometimes people think, You know, I give 50, she gives 50, so that makes 100, right? No, it doesn't. It still makes 50. And the danger is the 50 that I keep back and the 50 you keep back. That's where the danger occurs. But if we have 100-100, there is no room whatsoever for difficulties. Let me just find my page here. There we go. So it's no longer 50-50. It has to be 100-100. We don't want to be heading in different directions because that's what the back-to-back position puts us. Heading in two different directions and ultimately those two different directions will lead us to the divorce court. It will lead us to a place where we dismantle what we once said we had when we were face to face there are certain myths connected with this third position this back-to-back position in opposite directions some of these myths are things like if we get a lot of stuff i'll be happy Let's amass a lot of stuff new cars, new this, new that, changes here, changes there. That will make us happy. The concept of things making us happy doesn't exist. I remember the Shah of Iran many, many years ago who came down with cancer. And he was willing to pay millions of dollars to anyone who could find him uh, a cure for his cancer. He was a man filled with things, a man of wealth, a man of possessions. So none of that will ever help us in our pressurized environments by getting amassing a lot of things that's one myth another myth is having lots of stuff is a significant thing that we have made it that we have prominence having stuff gives us position and recognition the third myth the one who has the most toys wins these three myths getting stuff will bring happiness having stuff will give me position and the most toys will cause me to win absolutely not what happens from these positions especially the back-to-back position friction, friction occurs in the marriage and friction as like pressure or even worse than pressure because when it's friction, I think of sandpaper when I speak of friction because sandpaper has a wonderful way of refining things, right? What kind of things? Wood, wood. Get a piece of sandpaper on wood? Perfect. Put a piece of sandpaper on the human being, and what happens? Yeah, scratches, scars, things of that sort. So that's one of the things that happen with uh, the back-to-back position. It leads to a lot of friction between one another. A lot of harsh words are exchanged because now there is the bitter internal feelings that one's having and you're not able to cope with the pressures and so the partner now becomes the object of the internal struggles that I'm having and as a result it's manifest itself in the words that we express with one another. Part of those words also could be sarcasm. Sarcasm is one of the most painful things in a marital relationship because it it digs away. It penetrates like a very cancerous uh, cell penetrates the body. That's what can happen with... Uh, uh sarc- sarcastic words and loss of intimacy loss of intimacy in the relationship that particularly is one of the first things that go in the marital dysfunction Intimacy, no longer feeling the attractiveness that you once felt when you were face to face. Now it has been diminished, it has declined. No sense of appreciation any longer for what you once enjoyed. It's a danger these are the results that the back-to-back position ultimately brings so what's the potential danger then to the relationship once we are in this back-to-back position what's the danger seeking fulfillment outside of the marriage seeking fulfillment outside of the marriage and that's a very easy thing to do because you can be so enraptured by the expressions of someone who says to you oh you're looking so great today I like that tie you're wearing I like that skirt you're wearing and all of a sudden those subtle innuendos become things that you begin to pursue because you're measuring things you're saying to yourself at home i don't hear those expressions but when i'm on the job or when i'm outside i am held up with the greatest honor so why don't go for what i'm hearing that's appealing to me as opposed to what i'm not hearing at home see the subtle innuendos seeking fulfillment outside flirtatious behaviors associated with that as engaging with the opposite sex in that way flirtatiously moving dabbling for that matter in other things such like pornography it's a major major disaster today in marriages I work with many men, and I'm sure that there are women as well who not as much suffer from it as men do, but work with many situations where pornography has come in to the marital relationship and is impeding the relationship, the progress, because the other party feels as though they have been displaced by the screen they have been violated by something an an animate object but coming through an inanimate piece of equipment it's a challenge to work with such uh, situations occurring. And it comes to us very easily through those little things we have. You know, these little things. You used to have to get it on the uh, television screen, right? You don't have to go very far any longer. You, you've got it and you carry it with you 24-7, right? So these things are the vicious elements that are used today i mean good pieces of equipment let's be honest because we need them but they are as destructive as the enemy will use them and as we permit him to use them all right so i've given you a kind of a awful picture right kind of a gloomy gloomy scene unless we go back and talk about the face-to-face which we would like to return to right so the question now is can this thing be fixed there is a scripture and i read just two verses to you also in ezekiel 20 ezekiel 36 And just two verses, 25 and 26. It says there, speaking about the nation of Israel, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And chapter 37 and verse 3 says, And he said unto me, Son of man, shall these bones live? The hopelessness of what we've just presented comes the question, can these bones live? Can my marriage get back to a level where it is experiencing maximum enjoyment, maximum health? Can it be possible? Is it possible? Can these bones live? Can this marriage of mine that has been in turmoil and feeling the effects, the negative effects that the pressure has put upon it, can I be enlarged as, as David says, that pressure enlarges me? Is that possible? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Well, how am i going to turn my husband around how am i going to turn my wife around we've been trying this for so long is it possible yes let's bring some clarity to our marriages by arranging times to get connected first thing let's bring clarity by arranging times to be together to get connected because if you're not Getting together uh, to do any kind of talking. If there is no getting together, then there is no opportunity for recovery. So let's arrange times to get together. Times for quiet contemplation. Times for reflection. Times to look at, to do some introspection. Times to to look within each of us to see whether or not or what. We are contributing to the reasons why we are the way we are. Times to set, to reset, to refresh like we do on the computer all the time. We need also to set margins in our marriages. That is setting parameters. Setting boundaries, setting arrangements so that we understand the level and the limit to which we can go. Don't just be arbitrary in our relationship as we have been, but rather we are now setting healthy boundaries to maintain good health. in those margins that we set we want to provide wiggle room that is room to be able to be expressive and to at the same time control we don't want to be living on the edge all the time we want wiggle room and proper space for expressing of ourselves. We do not want to ignore, just one second, keep losing my space here. This is what technology does for us, huh? Let's just go out and come back in. You
3: had mentioned,
1: um, go ahead,
3: how could I help my husband to be what he wants, what he should be? I don't think that's the that's the way we should think. Um, I need to find out how I should be, according to what the Lord has for the woman's place in marriage. It's not that I've, I'm going to fix him. I've got to fix me. I've got to lo- allow the Lord to fix me. And I think when He sees me being different, it helps Him to be different as well.
4: Yeah. Keep keep going. Huh? Keep keep going.
3: There's certain, there's certain things in scripture that the Lord expects of the wife. Um, submissiveness, uh, helping in the home, taking care of the children. Not that the husband doesn't participate in these also. But when he sees her submissiveness and her gentleness, he begins to realize, wait a minute, I've got a responsibility as well.
1: Okay, appreciate. So why don't we do this then? So may- maybe the Lord has allowed me to lose my spot so that we can get the begin the uh interactive side of things. So as I as we do this, I will come back to finishing up and tying in anything else that's left. So why don't we get some interaction based on what we've just he- hearing that it's not a matter of, i'm attempting to make him or 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 she's attempting to she's attempting to make him or i'm attempting to make her but rather what uh is to happen is that god has to do the formation uh in my husband and in my wife so that there might be the recovery that we've been talking about so let's see if we can develop some of that then with your questions that you may have at this time. Okay? So let's hear from you. we
4: have
2: a question that some folks submitted. I'm gonna give you the first
4: one. Okay.
1: So the first question is what do you do if you are fighting constantly about the same thing? Stop fighting. Unique answer, right? Stop fighting. Uh, We need to look again at what is behind the, the fighting. What is the spirit that's behind that is it the spirit of uh, I must win. I've got to win. Uh, And so this battle comes up constantly over the same thing. No resolve, no resolution whatsoever at all. We're going to keep fighting about it. The time has come that we're going to have to stop and say, what is my objective? Why am I pushing the idea? Am I going to change her? Am I going to change him? That's what we were just saying. It's not a matter of the changing of one another, but it is a matter of what really pleases God and should please God in our marital relationship, that that should be the thrust that moves us in the direction of resolution. We need to come to the place where we sometimes have to say, okay, okay, Uh, We're not going to get anywhere on this matter. We may have to rest it and allow for there to be some contemplation over a span of time in which there might even be a change of your own personal thought process. So as to be more accommodating as opposed to saying I'm waiting for him to change or her to change. Anyone else wants to add to that? Sure.
4: One One second.
0: One second. It's a simple example with chores. My husband is great at taking out the trash, but he never puts a bag back in the trash can. So at the beginning of our marriage, that was a big thing to me, like, Oh, my gosh, I just threw trash in there. Why you didn't even tell me that you took out the trash, you know? So he never communicates that. So, and it used to be a big, big issue. Like, it was one of my pet peeves. And I had to learn to just step back and for a while, because we argued about it every time he did the trash. And I just started putting the bag in the trash can myself. But that didn't solve the issue. Wait, hold on, there's more. It didn't solve the issue. So what I did was I started not only putting a bag in a trash can, but putting a few at the bottom of that bag. So then he would see it and go, oh, she's trying to be smart, but then he would pull it out and put it in. We're still having that issue though. We've been, this year's gonna be 20 years, but that's still an issue. It didn't change him, but now we have children. So I said, you know what? When you see Dad has taken the trash, please, one of our sons is now assigned to it because that's just his thing. But I had to learn to adapt and deal with it so that it didn't become an issue. Continued in our marriage.
1: So, so let's ask Dad why. Why is it? Because there must be there must be some reason why he doesn't put the bag back back in the trash. That would be one because I never. Well,
2: well let's ask okay. it. You, you, All right. Um, so the reason why I don't put it in sometimes I, sometimes I actually forget. Uh most time I forget. And secondly, I just feel like if I take the trash out, you can put a bag in there. Like I'm taking the trash out. I'm in the cold, I'm taking the recycle out. I'm you know, I'm braving the weather, you know, especially now. And I say, okay, I did that part. Let's let's share the chore. So that's my perspective on this. Like, I think we should each take a part in it. it shouldn't be just my chore.
4: I think. I think. Okay.
0: Do you help with the dishes? We don't share the dishes. So why should we share the trash? If I have the dishes, you have the trash.
3: Part of the chore of taking the garbage out... Okay. Part of the chore of... Part of the chore of taking the garbage out is putting a bag in the garbage. That is part of the chore. And I think you're just like sticking it to her. That's the impression I'm getting. Oh,
4: sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, I agree with Dolores. My question was for the wife. So, what is going to happen when the kids go to college? <laughs> And you have no one to complete the job. Okay. Did, did anyone else have a question they wanted to ask?
2: Yeah, I got it. Just because we have some people watching on Zoom that Okay. So I got a question. So I'm about to be married in like one month,
4: actually. Uh, sir, cheek to cheek. We Jamaican, so we'll say Ben Shambati. That's a Jamaican
1: thing.
2: <laughs> but anyway, so a question that we had is like,
1: how do you help? How do you create healthy boundaries or just boundaries between your your families because
2: they just get in the way.
1: OK, so we we need to uh, do another seminar. There is. yeah, <laughs> There is a seminar that I would do on in laws and outlaws.
4: That's good.
1: That that helps you to set the boundaries. Uh, Those boundaries must be set up front. You are marrying your wife or you're marrying your husband. But in a sense, there is a marital link that occurs with the family. But the primary connection here is your link with your wife or with your husband. That takes precedence over anything else. That's why the scripture in Genesis said a man is to leave his father and mother and to cleave to his wife. It's not an injunction that was given in scripture to the wife because it very often is an automatic with the wife, a cleavage that occurs. But if you don't have that cleaving, then that opens the door for the external influences to adversely affect the marriage. So set your boundaries.
3: I think we need to say too that um, often if it's the wife's family who is interfering, she should be the one to tell them not to interfere instead of the husband telling them because she should make it clear to them that they're causing more
1: problems. So in each case, whether it is the wife's family intruding or the husband's family, it, in each case, I think it is the responsibility of the one whose parents it is to take up the matter, whether it's the wife or the, the husband, or, or, the, or the siblings, yes.
4: Okay, next question.
1: How important is learning your partner's love language and how often do you practice it? This matter of love languages comes from the five love languages, uh, what's his name again? Gary Chapman, thank you very much, by Gary Chapman. Uh, yes, I see you. you've you been reading. Uh, each love language, I view it as uh, something that we should all have. I don't know that I like the, the total idea of a specific one track love language i think we need to speak all the languages if you go through his list of them we will be uh more fluent in one than the other but certainly if my partner's love language is uh words of affirmation and mine my love language is receiving gifts you get my message? Yes. So I like getting things. If hers is affirmation, then certainly we need to learn how to effectively interact with her language and she needs to learn how to interact with my language. So it is an important thing to speak one another's language and to be fluent in it and to be always available to express things in that way. Because if, if you get those expressions responsive to your love language, it is going to stimulate greater health in the marital relationship. So yes, speak the language, learn it. If you gotta go to school and learn it, learn it. Yes, okay. And how often? As often as possible, yes. Frequently.
3: But sometimes you have to tell your partner
1: what you want. Good. Good. That's one of the things about another assignment that we do called Fulfilling Needs in Marriage. That's another seminar. Uh, If you don't express what your needs are, how am I going to fulfill them? Well, you may say, come on, be intuitive. Be instinctive, you know, open up your eyes and see. That may be true to a degree, but the best way for fulfilling needs is to have those needs verbalized and expressed.
0: That's what I was going to add, but she said it it's about communication within the marriage. So how often you speak your partner's love language, they have to express that to you. How often do you want gifts? You know, what kind of gifts? You know, I'm like, my husband, no, mine, I love fresh flowers. So if he just comes in with a few, you know, flowers, my day is met, like, for the month. Possibly, because I'm just I'm simple like that. I don't need a lot. I love cards. So he knows those things, but he knows it because I communicated it with him.
2: Yes, very good.
0: So I just wanted to um, piggyback off of what everyone said about love languages. And I think, um, especially in marriages, relationships, um, speaking from um, a point, even blended families, no matter what your relationship looks like, when you start speaking about love language, we have to be careful in really looking at what the actual problem might be. Because when you start speaking, Love languages and your needs not being met. Sometimes there's a scorekeeping that starts to happen. They did this, but they didn't do this. But I did this and this and this, but they didn't do this. And they could have. And I think the only thing that's going to open that up, honestly, is open, wholehearted, prideless communication, like you had said before.
1: So, very good, because this issue of scorekeeping is is a dangerous issue, because. It's the one-upsmanship mentality. I did, you didn't. Well, I did last week and you didn't. And we can't keep going backwards and forwards like that. It's an unhealthy way of existing in the marital relationship. Score keeping Can't afford to do that. Okay?
4: All right, I got a question. Um, is it okay to ask your spouse for space to hang out with either the guys or the girls? End question. Marlon, you want space, huh?
1: Yeah, good. Okay. Very well. Are you single, Marlon? <laughs> okay. So, you see, when you were single, Marlon, man, you can hang out as much as you want to. Every day, however long you wanted to, because you have no accountability. Marriage brings with it accountability and responsibility. Okay? Uh, You're no longer detached. You're now attached. Now, we're not saying you can't meet with your buddies once in a while. But that has to be now modified because there's a new scheme, schematic of things that's going on here. I am in link with a wife. I'm in link with my husband. And as a result, uh, I made that choice when I said that I will, I do, I am going to be associated with you until death do us part. Now, all of a sudden, death hasn't come, but you want to part? So certainly we want balance. Yes, we can be with our friends from time to time, certainly. But this idea of, well, I used to go out with the boys every Thursday night and I have to keep this. That's got to go out the window. That's got to go. It has to be done in a modified way, but in a way that your partner is taken into consideration.
3: Yeah, I think it sh- should be discussed with your husband or wife, that this day, I'm gonna spend this amount of hours away from you. Like how I went with our girls on a trip for a weekend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we left him alone, but he agreed. And he goes with his uh, son-in-law to play paddleball for hours, sometimes <laughs> on a Saturday. That's fine with me because then it gives me time to be alone as well.
1: Yes, all things, all things in perspective. Let me just, before we go to the next question, as I rediscovered my place here, let me just emphasize when we were talking about margins and we said no wiggle room, always living on the edge, we don't want to do that. We do not want to either ignore marital pressure. We cannot afford to ignore marital pressure. So discovering your rhythm or your cadence, as we said before, the rhythm of love, it is a rhythm that is unique and exclusive to you and your husband. This is your unique rhythm. It's not mine and my wife's. We will differ, but we need to find that kind of cadence and that kind of balance. Uh hammer it out through the years of experience. As you have your years of experience, you're going to learn how to effectively connect with one another. It's a wonderful thing called marriage. It's uh, unique in the sense that it is your marriage. And as a result, you're able to find the things and fine-tune the things that best suits your functionality because that's what you want to function effectively in your marriage remember that the daily uh stresses that we experience will adversely impact our relationship and would hinder the rhythm so let's be careful about that okay let's go on to the next question what are some ways to increase intimacy Depending on what you mean by intimacy, what are some ways to increase intimacy? And I'm hoping that a person's question is on the broader scope leading up to sexual intimacy, as opposed to exclusively sexual intimacy. Intimacy is, the word itself, intimacy, means into simple as that into into one another and that should be something that happens on a frequent basis that we are connected with each other that there is a sense of a pull that is occurring towards one another and as a result of that pull we want to do what uh, excites and builds upon the relationship whatever we do whether it is going shopping together uh, going out with the kids spending time alone no matter what we do there should be the element of intimacy connected with that finally sexual intimacy A must. A must. That's another subject matter, uh, Isaac, that we'll have to take up, right? Sexual intimacy in marriage. It's one of the needs that is fulfilled in fulfilling needs in marriage. There are several of those needs of which sexual intimacy is an essential commodity we remember when we first met each other we were physically attracted it didn't just remain there it went beyond to a more intimate uh line of attraction but sexual intimacy physical appeal was an essential commodity all of a sudden now we've lost it why I emphasize the importance of sexual intimacy up until you're 95. You got me? Yes, that it should not be something that gets lost along the way. It should be an exciting experiment expedition, you name it. I use the analogy, and Marlon will tell you all the time, about climbing Mount Everest, right? You're going to climb Mount Everest. You're going to look forward to it as a climber, and you're going to put everything in place to reach the peak of Mount Everest, right? Sexuality is like Mount Everest. It's a wonderful peak to arrive at. Put every energy into it in seeking to arrive at that peak. Okay? No, why should they be? Are you so, kidding
2: me? Right, right. Why, why, why should we be 100%? And the reason I say it's a general statement, but it's because I think that we, we all know why the question's being asked, Yes. right? And in that knowing, I love that Dr. Daisley makes the bold statement that it is a must. But as the busyness of life happens, and especially if you have little kids like we do, or like life, and you're, or you have a business, or you're just a busy, 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 at some point, we start kind of blaming it on the busyness. But scripture tells us that, we are, it's, that it is a must to give the conjugal rights to your husband and to your wife so that you remove. Dr. Daisy, you always use the analogy of the scissor. Could you just share that with us? Okay, The I don't happen to
1: have one. Does anyone have a scissor? <laughs> I see Angie, Angie went to get one. Okay, in the meantime, until she gets back, running the marriage race. Oh, here she is, boy, she runs very quickly. Thank you, Angie. All right, so here is the scissor.
4: Okay, how many blades do you see?
1: One blade, very good. How many blades do you see now? Two blades. Okay, so this is the principle of the two shall become one. It's the divine mathematical formula that goes against the normal uh formula today right Janelle it's today it's still one and one is two right but in God's mathematical formula one and one is one okay Uh, what's happening to the blades separating and what
4: holds them as they separate
1: what's in the center the screw the pivot that's in the middle Holds the two blades together. So no matter how you separate, right? There is still the connection that holds you together. So when you go to work, you don't forget that you're married, do you? Okay. When you go, when you put out the garbage, (laughs) you don't forget that you're married when you put out the garbage. So you, okay. All right. So going apart okay but being held together by the pivot that's a screw that holds it in the middle then you're coming back together right at the end of the day but in the middle of going from place to place i'm gonna have to use one of these in the middle As going from place to place. You're coming back together. Thank you. You're coming back together.
4: Something happens.
1: What does the card represent in the middle, you think? Temptations. Temptations, busyness of life, the enemy, problems, distractions. You name them all. Okay.
4: All right. What happens? Didn't get the full cut. What happens?
1: Okay. So, the the ability, thanks, Marlon, the ability of the two blades, when circumstances of one sort or another, even in laws, the ability of the two blades to cut out the things that intrude is essential. Okay? Now, in order for the two blades to do that, they have to be sharp. Because if you have dull blades, it's not going to be able to cut. Uh, it will be jagged and things of that sort. So, the idea of the, two, the, the scissor being an example in the two blades of both of you being one and the screw holding you together and the ability to Take away adverse conditions that may enter the scene to hinder your marital relationship.
4: I I was thinking also, when you're walking down the street as a couple or
3: you're at the mall, there's nothing wrong with holding hands or hooking his arm. Um, I think that lends to intimacy, uh, so that you can feel the connection, even when you're out.
1: Yes. Okay, next two questions. How do I walk through forgiveness? And what does it mean to submit to your husband? Walking through forgiveness. Uh, This matter of forgiveness has another word to it called forget. Forget. And very often the difficulty with forgiveness is that we think that in order to forgive, you have to forget. No. Let's look at forget first. We could never forget anything. You're not going to forget the scissor analogy for the balance of your life, right? Every time you go home now and you see your scissors, your pair of scissors, you're going to remember the analogy. You'll not forget 9-11, right? You'll not forget some of the very significant things of life. The other things, not that you've forgotten them, but they're not all that significant and important. So you've put them in another part of your memory bank, but it's not that you've forgotten them. So we, if there is any situation in our marital relationships that have created difficulties, you will not forget them. But dealing with them can bring about forgiveness. Forgiveness involves the ability to acknowledge, recognize and acknowledge that something has happened. Something has come in that has impeded the relationship and is stifling it. And we are prepared to address it. We're prepared to put our likes and dislikes aside and look at the situation for its value. To see what is right versus what is wrong. What does the word of God say about this and that and the other? And if we can sit in that atmosphere and explore things with the spirit of working through, then we will get the forgiveness. And the forgiveness will carry the day. Now, if you have forgiven, we don't go back to the grave and dig it up again. We have a tendency of using the past as the springboard for bringing up additional and different uh, issues. Don't go there. If it's forgiven, let's close the book but we cannot forget. The Lord allows us to have that memory for a good purpose. So not so that we can use it as a weapon against one another, but that we can use it as a means of being able to say, you know what, we have risen above that and we're moving forward. Okay. You wanted to add to that? Yeah, no. What does it mean to submit to your husband? When he comes in from work, you get his slippers and you get his robe and you meet him at the door. Ah, supper is ready. Yes, okay. Bag in the
4: <laughs>
1: yes, let, let, him leave, let him leave the garbage pail without the, the, gar- the garbage bag, no. Okay, all right, submitting submitting to your husband has a criteria. And that criteria is as unto the Lord. Well, what does that mean? As unto the Lord. How does your husband respond to lordship and the authority of the Lord in his life? that's very very important he's he is honoring the lord in the way he deals with you your husband becomes somewhat of the picture of christ because when you come to ephesians 5 it's christ and the church and The church there submits to Christ. His wonderful influence, his benign influence upon the church, is what draws us out to himself. The same thing is what should be displayed by us as husbands, displaying the influence of Christ. That will draw our wives into the place of submission. Now, the scripture does say, wives are to submit versus husbands are to love now those two conditions submitting and loving are not contingent upon one another it's not if he loves me i will submit it's not uh if i submit he will love me or vice versa it is they stand As two separate entities, husband's responsibility, whether the wife submits. Wife's responsibility to submit, whether the husband loves. And yet, when you come down to the bottom line, if in truth and in fact, there is the feeling of submission, then it will create more love. And if vice versa, there is the feeling of love, there will, it will Uh, ultimately create more submission but submission is a wonderful uh, responsibility that's been put upon the wife it is a noble responsibility that God has given to the wife the world has distorted it it has called it uh, servitude bow to him That's not what God means on the line of submission. It's a wonderful thing, just as the church is submissive to Christ. Until we get another question, let me just bring us to running the race in regard to the cadence or the rhythm of our marriages. Marriage is not
4: to be viewed as a hundred yard dash. It's not a
1: hundred yard dash. It's a marathon. It's a twenty-five mile, figuratively speaking. It's a twenty-five, twenty-six rather, twenty-six-mile run. And how do you run? You run together you do not run separately in this marathon you are pegged as a couple you are attached together so each step that one makes is the same step the other one makes okay so running together there is three elements to to interlocking yourselves with one another so you run together You run at the same pace. One is not ahead of the other. We run at the same pace. I can think of an example, not running though, but an example of of, uh, Enoch in the Old Testament in Genesis 6. It tells us that Enoch walked with God. And I always figure in my mind what it means for Enoch to walk with God. God was not one step ahead of Enoch, nor was Enoch one step ahead of God. There was a stride that was taking place as Enoch walked with God. I think it's a similar stride that occurs here in the same pace. But also, you got to run in the same direction. Running in the same direction. And that's a major problem, right, Uh, that some of us might be having. That I'm going one way and she's attempting to go another way. What discordancy there will be if that is the situation running in different directions. Along with running is the analogy of deposits. Making deposits in your marital bank in your marital bank not your physical bank now as though although it's nice to have deposits made there but we want to make deposits in our marital bank to foolproof against the pressure overtaking us how do we do that we do that by applying core values that we have any more questions?
4: What if one partner has difficulty with handling pressure,
2: how can you help them not have such an adverse reaction
1: to stress? One party having difficulty handling adverse pressure. Well, that depends on what the difficulty is that that individual is having. If, if the individual is unable to process through the stresses of life, the pressures of life, uh, we need to go back and see their uh, family dynamic, their dynamic from their origins, because it's possible that there may be some types of mental health uh, deficits uh, that a partner is experiencing inability to handle anxiety, inability to handle the stresses of life, or maybe there is a, a predisposition to depression, things of that sort. So we need to be able to then dissect somewhat of just what is happening in the life of that individual who's unable to uh, handle the pressures of life. Uh, it We couldn't just have a dogmatic response of, well, let let him stop feeling pressurized. Uh, certainly, we have to look at the uh, tentacles, the, the variables that are associated with that. So, I have two
4: simple questions. How to handle disagreements between the side and our children? Okay. That is
1: a major uh, responsibility that has been put upon us. To discipline our children and disciple them. Now, when we talk about discipline, very often we confuse the two terminologies discipline and consequence or punishment. Discipline is not punishment, punishment is when discipline fails. So let's look at what discipline is. When I was driving here today, uh, I went through varied towns, and each town had a speed limit, and it said 35 or 40. Did I adjust? I don't remember. But nevertheless, what those speed limits are there for is for the purpose of disciplining my actions in accordance with the law. Okay? So we are all under discipline, not just our children, even though our children think think that they're the only ones that are being disciplined. No, parents are being disciplined in every department of our lives, all right? What happens when I didn't uh, drive at the speed limit? There's a guy who comes behind me with some lights on his car and they keep twirling around and I thought that they were just Christmas lights. They were not Christmas lights. He was trying to stop me, okay? And then he hands a, a ticket. That's the consequence. So when in our relationships, discipline fails, we'll get a consequence. Now, we have a responsibility as parents to be, we have been given the charge to discipline our children on a regular basis, to keep them in line with the standards that are acceptable, morally healthy standards. Uh, We need to be consistent in doing that discipline. It cannot be uh, dad allowing one thing and mom allowing another. That is a disjointed operation and the whole family system is going to fall apart. So there must be consistency in discipline. There must also be consistency in the administration of consequences
2: as well. Questions. Thank you. Sorry, um, someone is asking for a friend. If a, if, <laughs> but but please, if, if you do have a question and it's something quick, please uh, just raise your hand, just in case I don't see my phone. If a partner has arrived at a point that they're done, and I'm assuming that's with the marriage, and the other is attempting to still work through the pressure, what would advice would you? What advice would you lend each? Just just repeat that again for me. Sure. If a partner has arrived at a point that they're done and the other is attempting to still work through the pressure, what advice would you lend to each, so each party?
1: Yeah, that's a, a difficult place to get to where the partner feels done. And I'm assuming that the one who is at that position is one who has tried, hopefully, Uh, relentlessly and endlessly to engage and finding no solution one would hope that grace would first of all prevail uh, as much as the limit is there that can be exercised of grace so that you put your effort, all of your effort into attempting to achieve some result. If the other person is now attempting to engage while you've gotten to that point, I think you will have to go back and revisit. Well, why, if he is now or she is now willing to, to push through, why, why take the disposition of... I've had enough. That would be an unfortunate place to be. If in truth and in fact there is no response, then one might say, well, okay, I understand why that person is at that place. But hopefully the person who is at the place of now seeking to mend the fences, that that might be influential enough to say to that other individual, hey, listen, can't become so dogmatic open the door of communication and seek if what the Lord can do in recovering that relationship. I'd hope that that's what is done. Uh, Usually at times, if there is an impasse in any relationship, I generally suggest that maybe a time of separation might be essential for the purpose of rebuilding. But it is not for the purpose of going to the divorce court. It's for the purpose of rebuilding.
2: Can you speak to the differences in separation and divorce from a faith standpoint?
1: Well, certainly God says to us in Malachi, I hate divorce. That's what he says. I hate divorce. Uh, the Lord Jesus, when asked, confronted with that same self-same question, said that Moses only granted you a divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. Okay? Okay. It is never the intent of God because he said uh, the two shall be one and until death do us part. Okay? Unfortunately so, we are living in a society today where the next best option is always the first thing exercised. I'm going to the divorce court because I can't take it anymore. I would hope that a couple exhausts every possibility to restructure their marriage even though the marriage may be on the rocks going to the limit so to do if perchance infidelity has come in generally the rule is this the act that consummated the marriage, the sexual act that consummated the marriage is the very same act outside of the marriage that will destroy it. The Lord Jesus says, except it be for fornication. So in the case where a marriage is adversely impacted by infidelity, if there isn't the spirit and willingness to forgive and to work through, then there is some legitimacy in terms of divorce there. Now, separation, and I'll give you a minute. Separation on the other hand is intended to exercise the couple to the fact that we miss one another because separation hopes that you will feel the loss and longing to want to be reunited and to repair whatever it is that caused the separation. So separation has a a value, but it should only be exercised as one of the last resorts before anything else takes place. Go ahead.
3: Well, I think that if both people, both both people who are the couple, the husband and the wife, if they... If they both know the Lord as their savior and one decides that they are at their limit and they don't want the marriage anymore, they need to be able to verbalize why. And if, those reason, if, the, if the whys cannot be addressed, there might be some spiritual matter where that one does not want to address the the problems, mm-hmm. and it could be that he's saying, "I don't want this anymore," but maybe he has his sights elsewhere, and he don't want to admit it.
1: Yes, very, very, very important uh, that it should never be because there is something else or someone else uh, in place. Oh, okay someone else in place because if someone else in place is in place then it's disloyalty
0: um i was just going to add that very same thing when you are addressing separation the separation should not be so that you could then live separate lives it should be focused on repairing the marriage working on yourself Mm -hmm. so that you can come back together
1: Quite, quite true. Uh, Indeed, it has, it should have a positive desire in place.
2: Afternoon, Dr. Daisley. Question um, with something your wife mentioned. When, what about when one person is in the faith, but another one is not, like their walk with Christ is, is, you know, far different from the other. So in those, mar- in whether the, the issue at hand is, you know, a pending divorce or even just whatever the marriage struggles, what if the, the faith is now also on top of that and creating a problem? Yes,
1: the, certainly there are marriages where one is a believer and one is not a believer. And it is possible that the one that is not a believer, originally the marriage was where both of them were unbelievers, and then as a result, you've already made your commitment so you don't break your commitment. Now, on the other hand, if one was a believer and the other one was not, uh, that is an unequal yoke, and certainly there will always be consequences associated with that, okay? Okay. But now the case is, no matter what it is right now, are uh, what do we do in a situation where one is walking by faith and the other one, in a figurative sense, is walking by sight, not a believer? It takes us to First Peter three. First Peter three sets out the criteria, even though it's using the woman, as the example there but we could put the man in place as well uh the individual there in first peter three is who is the believer is to set the standard set the criteria of christian living the woman there is demonstrating a meek and quiet spirit I believe that the husband, if it is the husband who is the, un, who is the saved one and the wife is the unsaved one, the husband has a responsibility to set a healthy marital standard as head of his home. By doing that, the other party who is not of the faith has an example seen in that individual and from that, the Spirit of God is going to use the means of drawing, hopefully, the party who is not of the faith, drawing the party to see, wait a minute, my wife, I mean, I, I, I put a lot of pressure on her, uh, I put a lot of demands on her, and she is so lovingly receptive and responsive, that can win the other party. So I believe that it is in that sense that uh, the unsaved one influences the one who is, rather the saved one influences the one who is unsaved.
3: But sometimes what happens is that the saved one beats the other one over the head with the Bible. And instead of living what they should be living according to the Lord, they're not yes and that would cause more problems
1: yes certainly the the saved one is called to be an example
2: yes i know that we have a lot of questions that you guys just texted me and didn't write your cards um so we're not going to get to all of them okay um i i pray that i want to give dr daisley some rest too right it's been standing up here you guys don't have to preach every week so you don't know what this is to just stand up here and speak but um i I do want to ask this question and uh i guess we can uh kind of answer this or you can answer this if you can dr daisley with um just as broad a net as possible i guess but it's a very specific question how do you deal with resentment of making more money than your spouse Um, Okay, I'll leave it alone.
4: (laughs) Yes, that's that's a hard one. Yeah.
1: So the one who hopefully is making the more money is not the one that's resentful. (laughs) Because that, that one who's making more money has a responsibility to set the tone. So that it's never, look what I do versus what you don't. If we have that mentality, that's going to destroy the marriage tremendously. Now, the one who is not making the uh, much money may be feeling inferior. And especially if it is the husband who is making less, he may be feeling inferior. Uh, so he needs to deal with his feelings unless his wife told him, guess what? You're not worth much because you're not making anything. If she did, then that's a different situation. But if she has not given any implication whatsoever that she is concerned that he is making less than she is, then he needs to deal with his particular issue. And it is his issue of, of uh, self And insignificance that is driving the matter here. So he will have to change that. By the Mm -hmm. the spouse who is making more money. Then she needs to stop, or he needs to stop. Because that is not that's not a, a criteria for the marital relationship. When you agreed and said I do, it was not well, I only do or I only will if you're making more than me or less than me. It's not a part of the criteria. It's not a part of the vow. So anyone who imposes that on the other needs to realize, I got to stop. That is not a criteria. Be thankful that the Lord is allowing you to make more money to compensate for any deficits that may be there because he or she is not making enough. You have the cases where uh, a wife, I know of a wife who is a doctor, and she is making a fair amount of money. She's in the clinical area where she has a clinical practice, and they decided that the husband will stay home because babysitting cost would be astronomical. Uh, when he can stay home and she can support, if that's the decision, then so be it. And and you accept that kind of decision.
2: Thank you so much. Um, thank you for, for sharing with us. Um, I, again, we have some other questions here. Uh, I'm just going to ask the questions just so maybe we can um, have them in the back of our minds. How do we make God the center of our marriage? which I do believe is a question that each of us has to ask coming here, sitting here and leaving here and every single day of every single moment and every single moment of our lives. How do we make God the center of our marriage? And it really is that pivot on that scissor that brings us back together. Right. And so the same thing and God making the center of our marriage. Yes. Yes
3: like to say something on that one of the things that we established when we got married is that we would have devotions together first thing in the morning we read the scriptures with there's certain like the daily bread the there is a little booklet that we can read together and we can pray together before we start the day and that sets the tone for our relationship during the day
2: Uh, Thank you, Mrs. Daisley. There's also uh, a question here, which you kind of addressed earlier. My spouse watches pornography. What should I do? So uh, from the perspective of the person who's being affected by this, um, what would you say that they could do to tend to self and their marriage?
1: In the particular case, uh, we need to know what is the husband's response to her concerns because if the husband isn't concerned this is going to be a very difficult thing to uh, to process through if he's going to continue in the pattern uh feeling that i have an entitlement to do whatever i want to do then that's going to be a danger but if he is exercised as she is but he's finding it difficult to break the cycle then we need to do some personal work with him
2: yeah and i also because I know that we have some maybe husbands and wives in this room right now who are not believers. So you may be asking yourself, like, why is that a big issue? Uh, I want to assure you as a pastor of this house, and also because of what Dr. said, Daisley said before, um, pornography is an incredible sin issue. Yes. Okay. Like whether you grew up doing it together, perhaps just to be real. Right. Maybe at some point in your life, it was not an issue. But in marriage, in a a marriage that is seeking the presence of the father, who is good, and all that is good, pornography is certainly a sin issue. And so, Dr. Daisy, I know you said before that you've dealt with a lot of couples, um, a lot of couples and a lot of men who deal with this issue. So if you don't see it as a pressing issue today, but you do have an issue in your marriage, I invite you to tackle that very issue and see what the Lord does in that space. Um, And then this last question, and then we'll move on to our last portion for today. It's, does the Bible say anything about combining our finances? I know you like this topic. Sure, I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure, I do. If you you want a scripture and a verse that says husbands and wives have one bank account, you're not going to find that scripture. So don't go looking for it. But what you're going to get from scripture is inferences. Inferences that help you to understand that the oneness that you created cannot be maintained by division. You can't be one if you're divided. So this idea of my bank account and her bank account you remember we talked about the 50-50 earlier and why it should be 100-100? When we start talking about the mids, it isolates us from one another and separates us out. So then I can do whatever I want to do with my bank account, right? Because she has no right to ask me about what I'm doing. Well, where did I get that from? then I might as well remain as an individual. Because if I want to be an individual, just simply be an individual. Stay away from marriage. But if I want marriage and the privileges and the connection that marriage brings, it also has with it responsibility. And the responsibility is, as far as I'm concerned, is to share in one. Now, you may say, well, I make, my money. Yes, that's good, but you make it for the family. He makes his money, he makes it for the family. And that's the the truth that I keep emphasizing. Thank you for listening to our podcast. One Life Christian Church is located in Baldwin, New York. To find out more about the church, visit us at www.onelifeli.com dot com.